Welcome to Category Visionaries, the show dedicated to exploring exciting visions for the future from the founders who are on the front lines building it. In each episode, we'll speak with a visionary founder who's building a new category or reimagining an existing one. We'll learn about the problem they solve, how their technology works, and unpack their vision for the future. I'm your host, Brett Stapper, CEO of Frontlines Media. Now let's dive right into today's episode. Hey, everyone, and thanks for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Jorge Panalva, co-founder and CEO of Lang.ai, a language understanding platform that's raised $15 million in funding. Jorge, thanks so much for chatting with me today. Thank you. Thank you, Brett, for having me. Yeah, no problem. Especially appreciate you joining at uh, 3 p.m. on a Friday. Must be a little bit brain fried, I'm guessing. <laughs> no, I mean, brain is working 24-7, right, in a startup? <laughs> That's good and good to hear. So let's uh, let's talk about the startup. So um, before we dive in you know, deeper there, let's get to know you a bit more. So can you start with a quick summary of who you are and a bit more about your background? Yeah, totally. So basically, I grew up in Spain. Uh, Lang is actually my second company. I'm a second-time founder. And I ran the previous company from like 2012 to 2018. It was a social media analytics platform that we scaled in Spain and Latin America. And I became fascinated about just like working with language data and like digital communications in general. And actually my mom is a linguistic teacher and my dad is a scientist. So it was kind of like this fascination for like the intersection between language and math. Mm -hmm. And, you know, really got excited about the opportunity with Lang when I saw the potential of like the amount of digital communications that companies were starting to deal with, right? I started in 2018. So that was like, you know, started of like that massive digital transformation. And the second thing, the growth with AI, right? As I was saying, you know, my background is technical. I studied computer science. So I saw that AI was really growing as like a technology that could transform a lot of industries, but it was being built by engineers for engineers. So the Mm -hmm. purpose with Lang was really to build AI in a way that was easy for business people to also operationalize, use, like in a very easy visual way. So that's kind of like the story that got me into life. Nice. Very cool. And a couple of questions just to better understand, you know, what makes you tick as a founder and as a leader? What CEO do you admire the most and what have you learned from them? Yeah, totally. So I think for me, the admiration, right, is in the people that really have to hustle and like to go through like the category building exercise, because I understand and I feel kind of like the the same pains when like building this current startup, right? I know this is the purpose of the podcast. So one that I really admire is uh, Manny Medina, the, the CEO of Outreach. You know, as an immigrant founder myself, I know like all the challenges that come with like, you know, coming here from abroad, having to fundraise, having to go through like all that process. And at the same time, you know, build a category and build a team that can win that category. So like what I really admire about him is, you know, how he's been able to create this industry from scratch and also build a team around him that has been able to execute in a very lean and no bullshit way, which I I also love as a founder. Yeah, I totally agree. And he's one of the top founders or CEOs that I'm following as well. And I I think what's interesting about him is 
he feels a bit more relatable to me than like Elon Musk or Steve Jobs, you know, like those types of people. Like, I don't know if I have that much like in common with what they do and how they approach their business, but with outreach, like what they're doing, you know, there's a lot of relevance if you're in B2B tech. And I think there's a lot of, you know, very, very good lessons that you can learn from the stuff that they're, you know, actively trying to do. So I like that a lot. Yeah, no, totally agree. And now that, you know, I see that they're also telling their stories and stuff like that, I think they're also more recent and relatable, as you're saying. Yeah, totally. And what about books? Is there a specific book that's had a, a major impact on you as a founder? And this can be a business book or it could be a personal book. Yeah, no, totally. That's a great point. So honestly, you know, I'm going to go a little bit of the hook here. I think really what has more impact for me as a founder is like reading books that are outside of business, you know, because it helps me really disconnect from like the day to day. Right. So in general, I'm really into like science fiction types of books and also just like murdery, kind of like a murder kind of like fiction. So those would be what really helps me as a founder is having some time to disconnect reading other books as well. Nice. I think that's important. And that's such a good call out too, because I have that issue sometimes, you know, like I'll go on vacation and then I sit there at the pool and I'm reading like a business book. And then at the end of the vacation, I'm like, did I actually take any time off? Did I actually like recharge my brain? Like not really, right? I just was, you know, doing business in a different form. Exactly. Exactly. And sometimes the brain just needs to disconnect for a bit, you know? Yep. Is there a specific book like that that you recommend or like a, a go-to favorite that you have? Uh, so honestly, I don't have one in mind right now that that comes to mind specifically, but I've been reading recently more of like science fiction. And I think that helps with creativity a lot. Like it just uh, generates more creativity in your mind. Nice. Very cool. And now let's dive a bit deeper into Lang.ai. So I know you touched on the origin story there a little bit, but to dive deeper, can you walk me through and, you know, what's the problem that customers are really paying you to solve? Yeah, 100%. So when you think about the problem that we're solving, right, is especially we work with like customer experience and CX organizations that have a lot of like data from customers, right? And these organizations really have such an amazing data pool with like everything that customers are saying, they're feeling, et cetera, right? Especially in consumer companies, you know, this is sometimes millions of conversations per month, right? And the problem for them is that a lot of times CX has been seen as a cost center, right? Especially in this type of consumer companies, like you have a customer asking for something and you're like, what's the fastest way that I can serve this customer? What Lang is trying to do through the data is, you know, let's actually understand on aggregate, because you have, again, millions of conversations, try to take kind of like that success perspective that happened in like B2B, right? With like companies like Gainsight to like B2C as well, and really understand, you know, what's behind those issues. Can we actually understand those issues and have eyes on everything that these customers are feeling so that in real time, you can also operationalize what you want to do with those customers, right? Because like someone may have an urgent issue and maybe, you know, they send an email or, you know, they contact a company and they cannot solve it in like 48 hours, right? And part of the reason is that, you know, a lot of these CX teams haven't taken yet kind of like a data-driven approach. 
So our goal really is to transform CX into a revenue driver, right? And solve that pain point where like companies are overwhelmed with that amount of data, you know, from an operational perspective to really scale their CX team, but also from an insights perspective to really use that data across the business to impact the top line of the company. And when I asked you for your favorite CEO, was it hard choosing Manny over Gainsight CEO, Nick Meta? Because I feel like he's like a, you know, a true pioneer on the, the category creation side for CX, I believe, right? Yeah, no, totally. I think it's such a good example for me of a category, especially because like, you know, it's this whole category that doesn't even have a fancy name, right? It's like customer success, you know? But like the person that's buying is like customers, the customer success person. So I think it's like really smart. Actually talking about books, I, I have that book from them, from like Gainside. I think it's like their VP of marketing there to read, but I haven't read it yet. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I did read that book from, I can never get his name right, but Anthony Canada. Exactly. Like, yeah, that one. That one. Yeah, so yeah, it's like the kind of like a more practical guide to category design. And as exactly. I was reading that book, I was like, yeah, I, I connected the dots. I had read that customer success book that they wrote back in like 2018. So my first introduction to customer success, you know, came from the customer success book that they had, you know, written and sold at Gainsight. And then it came full circle when I read, you know, Anthony's book. So, there's a strategy yeah. behind it. Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay. Like, I consumed their thought leadership about the category and you know, didn't even realize you know, what they were doing, which is probably the perfect example of category creation, right? Like if I had seen through it and saw that they were trying to create a category, I may have questioned it a bit more. But how they presented it to me when I was reading about customer success for the first time is like, it was like already something that existed. So when I read it, I actually felt like I was behind because I didn't really know that much about it, which is, you know, I think just really good execution on a category strategy. No, totally. No, and I think uh, Nick Meta is also amazing, by the way. Like that would be probably my second choice. I'll have to start asking that. What's your first and second choice? Just to make sure we cover the, uh, the big ones. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And then when it comes to actually, you know, selling this product, who's that end decision maker that you're typically working with and and typically targeting? Do these organizations have, you know, a head of CX right now and they're making these decisions or does that go up higher than them? Yeah, great question. So we sell to like different sizes of organizations, right? Like we have customers that are even dress like 10 or 20 people all up to like a thousand or two thousand people but generally you know there's like a person that is like a cx lead whereas he's like in early stage cx lead and you know in later stage like the vp of customer experience right or a director of customer experience and yeah they're usually kind of like our main buyer i think you know when you look at cx and like when you look at like the current economic situation as well, a lot of times, you know, they do have to get approval, you know, right now from like CFOs or some other executive. But generally, you know, they're the ones owning the budget and making the decision. Got it. Makes sense. And to dive deeper now into the category part of the conversation, what are your thoughts there? Obviously, you're, you're intrigued by the idea of category creation. So, you know, do you have a category name in mind or what are your general thoughts there on where your category lands? Yeah, no, great question. I've been thinking a lot about this uh, recently, right? And in general, when you think about like the transformation that has happened in CX, right, like before going into the 
category that, you know, we're kind of building, I want to talk about like, you know, what we've seen in CX is that when you think about it, there's been kind of like the space of like voice of the customer, right? Which has been happening for a few years, right? But voice of the customer is generally just like getting data from like disparate systems and just like, you know, probably you're reporting quarterly or monthly on like things that are happening behind the data, right? Because like, the way you're analyzing the data isn't fast enough. And on the other side, you have all the automation transformation that has happened in like customer experience organizations with like things like chatbots or like conversational AI, right? Like these type of companies that are bringing AI to customer experience. But in a way, right, like the way I think about it is that we're more of like a data layer or a data platform that sits on top of like all of those systems, right? Like the help desks that connects to all of these platforms as well and just allows you to like do all of these in a faster way, right? Like just like a structure that and structure data in a faster way because like things are moving so fast these days that those voice of the customer programs are not going to get you the same results as if you're able to see in real time what's happening in a way that, you know, if some issue is growing, right, in real time, you can say, okay, now I'm going to route this issue to this specific team. And I want to do that in like the same day, right? Like get that insight and transform it into action. So the way I see it is more of like a data platform or data layer. And when I think about like what we were talking before about Gainsight, it goes hand to hand with the concept of like CX operations, which is kind of like a role that is also growing in these organizations. And the role of CX operations is really, you know, twofold to bring operational excellence to the organization and also to be able to transform all that data into insights that the rest of the organization can consume, right? So when I think about the category that we're building, we're building it hand-to-hand with like this CX operation wall with a data platform that they can use, exploit, and use it to extract insights and automate. So would it be a customer experience operations platform or what's that actual category name or is that still TBD? I would say TBD, TBD, but I like the one you said, it just feels too long, you know? So if you have any ideas, I'm open to them. <laughs> I think you just have to do the Gartner playbook, right? And just you know, have the initials there that no one knows what they stand for. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But the way I think about it is like, I know there's going to be a data platform in here, right? In the same way, you know, if you think about what happened with like uh, CDPs, right? Like segment, in particle, et cetera, where they were bringing to their signals more from a structured data, right? Like not from like text or other sources. I think the same thing is going to happen with like unstructured data and there will be a data platform for that. Mm, makes a lot of sense. And what are you currently doing when it comes to trying to really push that point of view and that that narrative about CX into the world? What are you doing to you know try to get that message out there that's working? Yeah, 100%. So I think the key is to help CX teams really bring these concepts into the organization, right? And what I mean with that is helping them present this story to leadership, helping them sell this story internally, that if you set up the right foundation for your CX team early on, then your organization is going to be way more successful, especially in a world where everything is so competitive, because, you know, you're going to be able to see how to retain your customers. You're going to be able to see how to make your customers successful across the customer journey, 
right? So I think a lot of it right now for us where we've been successful is just like helping and talking to as many people in CX and helping them tell this story internally. And the second thing I think is working with some of the visionaries in this space, right? Like we've been really fortunate to work, you know, since like the early stages with some of like the best digital enabled companies and like fastest growing companies, you know, companies like Ramp, companies like Freshly, companies like Pairiware, right? Like Stitch Fix, you know, Zola. So mm-hmm. like really elevating the people that are also doing things right and also they help us convey the message of like the power of data in CX organizations and the power that can bring, especially when you're scaling and, you know, you're scaling in the right way. And those sound like, you know, very technology first companies. Do you anticipate when you expand, you know, outside of those tech first companies that your narrative and your story and, you know, the pitch to customers is going to change? Like, is it going to be harder to get you know, maybe someone like, I don't know, like Ford Motors, or, you know, some big Fortune 500 company, is it going to be harder for them to comprehend and understand the value of what you bring? Or what are your thoughts there of just, you know, kind of crossing the chasm and going from the tech companies to the more, I guess, mainstream companies? 100%. No, I, I totally think that's the case, right? I mean, some of them, right, like already have like innovation teams that can tap into a company like ours, right? Like, for instance, we work with Kaisha Bank, which is, I think, the largest retail bank in Spain in terms of customers. They have over 20 million customers. And there's like a large kind of like enterprise organization that we work with because they still have the problem of like unstructured data, right? But like the thing is more, how do you tap into them? You know, and sometimes there's like a very innovative CIO that really understands the problem that you're going after. But I agree with you, it's way more difficult to scale that and find those types of companies, right? From my perspective, right, from a strategy perspective, how I see it is that the moment to accelerate and like cross the chasm, as you were saying, into that really enterprise focus is as the category also catches up, right? So like I see the next year or two years, the CX space is going to keep growing very rapidly, Right. And, you know, as the category catches up, like then we can kind of like go take that market on because like, you know, there will be a lot of more understanding out there in like how the impact of like using this data to make your whole CX organization more effective. Interesting. It makes a lot of sense. And when it comes to, you know, category creation, category design, is that something that you're sharing with your team and trying to get the whole company to really like embrace and understand that discipline? Or, you know, is that something that you're just thinking about yourself now and it hasn't really been rolled out company-wide yet? Great question. So it's tough, right? Because like it's a very tough balance to strike to, you know, when you're selling today to customers, you're rarely selling the category, right? Like you're selling kind of like, hey, you have this pain point and I'm able to solve it, right? And like, that's what they care about. Some of them will also care about your vision, right? And, you know, understand that they can build the product with you, right? And like really get the category, but others just care about like their current pain point and how you're able to solve it, right? So I think it's a very tough balance to strike, to keep the focus into, you know, going at the certain pain points to kind of like grow the sales of the company, 
but at the same time maintain kind of like the category strategy and you know that can lead the company into the next stage in a year or like in two years right so i am very transparent right like with kind of like the team in general i i would say you know the leadership team is pretty aligned with like what we're doing and kind of like the activities that are also a little bit from like a long-term impact of the category versus the one that we're doing you know just like to generate pipeline today nice yeah, you know, like the more I study category design and what I tell founders as I talk to them is, you know, what you need to have is not necessarily like a strategy of going out there and creating a category. You need to have a category strategy. So you need to know, you know, how you're going to fit in the existing category landscape and then what that long-term plan is, you know, what that's going to look like in the future. Because a lot of the founders I talk to, they're, you know, on kind of two sides. On one side, they're like, we're building a totally new category. There's nothing like this that yeah, has ever existed before and it's completely brand new. And then on the other side, you know, they're just operating you know, within the category and there's no redefinition of the category or anything like that. So I think that's always the advice or the thoughts that I share with founders as well. Yeah, no, that, that's a great point. I mean, it's definitely something that I've thought about too, right? Like when I was talking about like voice of the customer, are we like voice of the customer plus plus, right? And just like fit in there and then like jump out of that category. But like in the way that we are at, I think like, you know, it's just like making a decision and then seeing how it plays out as well, right? And being able to react from it. But I think, you know, you also make a great point from there. And, you know, when I think about category as well, right? I think, you know, I'm thinking about it too, as I was saying before, not only from like an industry or like where you fit perspective, but also who's the persona that you are empowering. And I think that's what Gainside did really well, right? Where like the category is literally the persona. And I think that's super interesting to me. Have you followed uh, Andy Raskin at all? I may have, but I'm super bad with names. <laughs> I would, uh, I'll send you some links and you know, check his stuff out. He's really good. So you know, he's really big into this idea of strategic narrative, which you know fits into category design and, and all of that. And where he's different from some of the other category design folks is this belief that like the category doesn't really matter. Like what you're really trying to do is create a movement. And if you can you know, push a movement forward, then the category will kind of take care of itself. And I think Gainsight's a great example of that where like the category name or, you know, however the category is described, it doesn't really matter because like right. what they did is they were the champions for, you know, customer success and they made a movement around that and they've driven the entire industry forward. So I really exactly. buy into that general idea of like, who cares what the category name is and you know, move the industry forward and then you're, you know, well positioned there to capitalize on that. Exactly. That's exactly how I'm thinking about it, right? And like, that's also how, I mean, I think, there's some decisions in the short term that also affect that, right? Like, you know, for instance, when we see the industry today, like, and we want to drive the industry forward as well. And like all of these like CX operations, kind of like people that are, you know, gaining more power in, inside CX organizations. The way I think about it too is like, you know, a lot of people just go hard and like, oh, we compete against this or like we don't, right? And I'm more like, hey, like, Choose whatever you want. We're good at this, right? Like we think we are foundational and we can work with these companies and that's part of like building a category, right? So that's how I think about it doing like the deal cycles that we are at today, more like with a partnership mindset and really helping the person. And as you're saying, driving forward that champion to like the best decision for them. Nice. I love that. I love the mindset. 
And could you talk to us a little bit about just traction and, and adoption, um, any numbers that you're okay with sharing? Yeah, totally. So, I mean, we don't share like kind of like the revenue numbers per se, but like, as I was sharing before, you know, I can talk a little bit about like the customers that have gotten here. We've been really strong with customers on the fintech space, right? With customers such as Ramp, you know, Novobank, Retail Card, Hippoint Insurance, right? Uh, really strong as well on like the, the e-commerce side of things, right? With like uh, Rugild Group, you know, Peraiwer, Stitch Fix, et cetera, right? And in general, you know, I think we've been uh, growing really nicely with like the Sendesk ecosystem, right? So that we have a lot of shared customers with Sendesk, kind of like because of what we were talking before of like digital enabled companies. So we're starting to create a motion, right? With like Sendesk and also other customers in like Salesforce, Intercom and all these uh, help desks. You know, we're starting to accelerate both our direct sales motion and our partnership uh, type of motion, right? But as you were mentioning before, you know, we raised a uh, Series A, you know, earlier this year, right? Like our Series A was uh, 10.5 million, which uh, takes our total funding to 15 million. Nice. Very cool. And what else are you doing to really rise above all this noise? Because I, I do think that there's you know a lot of noise now in the CX space, which is good for driving the industry forward, but bad from a noise perspective. So what are you really doing then? And how come you've been so successful in rising above all that noise? Yeah, I mean, I think the key for us has been, one, there's a lot of noise in AI, right? And like AI products that overpromise and underdeliver. So like we've been really great at like building a product that actually delivers and it's very, very easy to implement, right? Like we implement our customers in like one week, two week stops. So with that kind of like easiness, it's kind of like show it, try it, and you're going to see the results and if it works for you or not pretty quickly. And I think, you know, that has helped us rise along some of the noise of the space, right? Just like, you know, being always in kind of like, as I was saying before, no bullshit culture, right? Like this is a product, try it. Like this is the try it. You can test it and you're going to see the results. And the second thing is, I think, again, like we have been very fortunate to have an amazing set of customers when we raised our Series A, right? And after that, and those customers talk positively about us. And, you know, the CX space is not that big. Yes, there's a lot of noise, but like, you know, CX people know what the problems are and talk to each other. So having those people that can really talk about like the value of having Lang and how it also becomes foundational to the rest of the initiatives, right? As I was saying before, how it won't compete when you launch a chatbot, right? Like how it won't kind of like compete when you have other automation initiatives, right? Like or other types of platforms in CX, I think has been super helpful for us to be successful and take more of a partnership approach rather than a competitor approach, right? Like, of course, there's certain players that, you know, don't want to partner with us, but we still go to the customer and say like, hey, we're not competitive to these. We can still work together and we can become foundational. <laughs> Very nice. And what about, you know, the journey of going to market is obviously a, you know, a tough road. What would you say has been your greatest challenge and how'd you overcome that challenge? Oh, great, great question. I mean, I think uh, 
greatest challenge for me is what we've been just talking about, right? Like, how do you go into a market that is very noisy and stand out in that market? And I think the way we've been able to overcome it is really, as I was saying before, you can't confuse category building with the pain point of the customer that's making them buy your product. Sure, there's going to be a few customers that are really visionaries, that want to work with you in the long term, that are going to you know, maybe build with you this category. But like for most people, they want to solve a problem and they want to solve a problem that's burning and that's urgent, right? So I think to stand out is just like really finding those pain points, being able to talk to them, being able to talk about how other people are solving those pain points. And, you know, people will listen to you and then they will see the value of the whole product, right? But I think sometimes it's happened to me a lot because I have a product mindset. You try to talk about like all the things that the product can do instead of putting yourself in the shoes of like the one thing that will help the most the person on the other side. And sometimes that's what you need, or most of the time that's what you need, right? That one thing that they can relate to, and then they'll see the value of the whole product. Yeah. And I think that's the number one thing that I see companies, you know, their founders get wrong is when they really put too much focus on the product's features and capabilities. And then that becomes, you know, their core message is all about features and capabilities. But that's typically very hard to sell because everyone, of course, says, I have the best features. I have the best capabilities. You know, who's not going to say that? So I see that's where, uh, where companies tend to go wrong quite a bit. Oh, 100%. Yeah, I mean, and we've gone wrong too, right? Like, you know, I think like our homepage from uh, a few years ago became our technology page. And then, you know, our new homepage should become our product page, right? And, you know, that's, that's how it goes, right? As you evolve from like really talking about the pain points. Makes a lot of sense. Last question here for you. If we zoom out into the future, what's the three-year vision for the company? I think... You know, it's kind of like what we've been talking throughout the podcast, right? Like I think in three years, I really see this category pan out where like CX data, you know, really shows its importance in organizations, especially in consumer organizations or organizations with like a ton of customers that are reaching out over like some kind of like text-based or like voice-based form. Right. I think that category of like that data platform is going to be created. And my goal is to work with like all of the companies that understand that in that three year period. Right. So, like, really go in the market today, build our sales and marketing organization in the right way to capitalize on the opportunity that we have in front of us to really transform these CX organizations. Right to be more data-driven, to be more operational, and to show, you know, the world kind of like what those successful CX organizations accomplish when they're doing things in the right way, right? And I think the second thing, you know, because we're talking about three years, right, which is kind of like midterm for me, right, is also for us, you know, scaling into like other sources of data as well, right? Like that these organizations have. We, we're already working with companies, you know, analyzing reviews, right? And analyzing other sources of like free text data. You know, companies are starting to understand that 
your data science team should be focused on like core activities of your company. And if a business team can exploit a platform like Lang to really process and understand free text data, this is going to be way cheaper for the organization than putting a data scientist to do it, right? And I think as we go into like this period where, you know, there's been a lot of layoffs and like people are having to focus more, I think that's going to become more important that, you know, it's an opportunity that I also want to capitalize on. Amazing. I love it. And that certainly sounds exciting. Unfortunately, that's all we're going to have time to cover for this interview. But before we wrap, if people want to follow along with your journey as you build, where's the best place for them to go? Yeah, totally. So I think mostly in my LinkedIn, Jorge Peñalba on LinkedIn from Langai. And I also have a Twitter account, uh, Jorge M. Penalba with a V, where they can follow me as well. But you know, I think it was sharing this with you before we started the interview, but we're also starting our own podcast during this year in 2022. So it's going to be exciting as well if people want to follow. It won't be about category building, but it will be around CX operations, which as we spoke today is one of the areas where we really want to focus and help these teams you know, really benefit from all that data and operational excellence that can be unlocked in CX. Amazing. Well, you just acquired your first listener. I'll check it out when it launches. So make sure to send over a link and really appreciate your time here. And uh, thanks for sharing what you're doing and your vision and really just your perspective on the market. It's always fun talking with a founder who you know really gets category design and understands it and is you know, using that in their business. So thanks so much for taking the time. No, thank you so much, Brett, for having me. And uh, you know, I really enjoyed the conversation. It's been great to talk to you and it's been a very fruitful discussion. Awesome, man. Take care. Take care, good. Bye.